Welcome to the Penn State Outreach Professional Development Podcast Series. Outreach Professional Development provides integrated training and professional development solutions that facilitate employee talent and leadership development. This podcast, titled Reclaim Yourself, How to Build Resilience for Challenging Times, was recorded live on December 9, 2009 and conducted by Cassandra Kitko from Health Matters in the Penn State Employee Benefits Division. Jody Himmelwright, Manager of Outreach Professional Development, gives the introduction. I'm very excited that she was um, willing and able to come to do this. I think it's very timely for us right now. We have a lot of stressors in our lives, including, you know, how to get to work on a day like today being one of those, but, you know, things about the holidays, but also in thinking about, you know, there's a lot of talk and a lot of things going on with the reset and what change will will be bringing to us in, in January. And so I think it's important that we think about ourselves as really, you know, on the ground as change agents and what we can do personally to really be as resilient as we can during times of change, but also recognize that it's an opportunity for us to be part of that change and to help move that change along. So without further ado, here's Cassandra. Um, I was happy to be able to put together a new program. As I mentioned to some of you, I, I work in the benefits division and I'm the coordinator of health matters and I used to be able to go out and do a lot of talks and my role has changed over the 16 years, almost 17 years that I have been here. It's gone from being the person that goes out and delivers the programs to being the person behind the desk working all of the numbers and making those plans for the future. And some people will say they don't like that kind of work, but it's, it's an evolution and we'll talk about changes and how, how you can work on accepting some of those changes and making changes a little bit easier and some of the characteristics that go along with it. Not all change is easy and I'm not going to say that there's going to be there's not going to be bumps in the road because we all know that's life, right? Life is bumps in every road. It is how we bounce back from those bumps that is really really the big the big thing that we need to think about and what we're going to talk about a lot. Okay. Well, today we are going to learn a lot about you. Learn a lot about you, how you find resilience, how resilient you are. I'm going to have you do a little quiz to find out just how resilient you are and you don't have to share that with anybody. We are going to do a lot of chit chatting back and forth. I want you to be very conversational during this talk because we're going to use techniques to help you to re reframe. The lone yeah. man arrives, welcome. <laughs> ability to bounce back and I just brought a few props you know because this what do you think about that one is it resilient Ooh, that's good. Whoops, whoops. Whoa. <laughs> that, that's my fault totally my fault yes what about this one not so, not so much this one might hurt to whether or not you can bounce back. And yes, that 
the tennis ball is much more resilient than the bean bag, and the, even the piece of wood is even a little more resilient than that bean bag. So I want to just keep, you know, talk about that resilience and how it is defined. So let me ask you this. If you had to pick which was more resilient, let me write this down. You have to pick which is more resilient. I just gave you three examples. Here's three more. Can you read that? Is it dark enough? Mm -hmm. Wood, steel, or plastic? Plastic. She says plastic. Steel. Steel is more resilient. Anybody else? I'd go with wood. I mean, if it's living wood. Living wood if as opposed tree. to dead wood? Well, if it's, like we gotta I mean, love dead wood, right? Yeah. <laughs> 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 the living tree bounces back more than a tree that's already fallen. Okay. Okay. Anybody else? No takers on the plastic. No plastic. Plastic. Steel. Oh, so we've had we have all three. All right. Well, that looks like a can of beer back there. Just so you know. I wish it was. I know. <laughs> we're really the same well, that's a maladaptive process. We'll talk about that a little later. It <laughs> works for the short term. <laughs> well, I wanted to just read a little bit about each one of these. It's one little paragraph about each of them. We know that steel has the capacity to hold under tremendous weight and pressure. Aircrafts, automobiles, skyscrapers, they're all constructed from that to provide that durability and strength. And we really rely on them to support us as we're going across them or in them while we're you know, tra doing transportation. It also resists the effect of intense heat and extreme, extreme cold. But on the other hand, steel is very rigid. It's non-pliable, it's really heavy, and it can also snap and buckle under its own weight and in highly acidic or wet environments. Steel is also weakened from oxidation and rust. Now plastic, is not as strong as steel, but offers many practical advantages. It's lighter, it's extremely pliable, highly resistant to the effects of water and acidic environments. But on the other hand, when it becomes old, what happens to plastic when it's old? It becomes, it becomes brittle, exactly. And it also, in extreme heat, can melt. Wood is both pliable and strong, but like steel, it can be weakened when exposed to water. And as many homeowners know, wood is very vulnerable to termites and fire. I don't think we have many termites around these parts of the woods here. But the, the whole reason that we talk about those three examples is that you were all right. They're all very resilient materials, but they all have their weaknesses. So resilience, whether you're talking building material or people, it's multifaceted. And it can only be fully and accurately understood when it's observed under stress or adversity. And I love the little saying that you get sometimes around emails when they say, um, you never know a person's true character until you see them in the rain or having a broken down vehicle or you know, traffic. traffic. Yeah, it's like our true colors really come out. And this morning, I, it was wonderful driving, no traffic because all the schools were closed. And other than just you know, being very, very careful, didn't have to worry about people being on the road. And so it, it's just learning how we adapt to those things. 
and being resilient. So we'll learn how you can increase your resiliency and where you know what the, where your weaknesses are because we all have them. We all, we all have our weaknesses. So I wanted to talk just a little bit about our genetic hardwiring because, believe it or not, there is a neurological effect to being resilient. There are, you know, up here in your brain, there are chemicals that either help us be more resilient or less resilient. Just like with your cholesterol values. How many, well you don't have to tell me, how many of you know somebody with high cholesterol? How many of you know somebody that's really, really skinny and exercises that has really, really high cholesterol? Why is that? It's genetic. And we, so it's very similar to this, just like cholesterol, resiliency is genetic, but you can work on it, just like somebody with high cholesterol that exercises and eats right, can work on their cholesterol values. So that's what, what I wanted to, what, you know, what I want to mention about resiliency. We always have those personality traits that we're genetically predispositioned to have, but we can have behaviors that can help us improve our resiliency. And this is just a neat little, I mean, it's a picture of the brain with the hippocampus right there in the middle. And with the hippocampus, that is where, all, as it says, all of our memories are filled and interpreted. But what I wanted you to pay attention to was this prefrontal portion up here. I'm short, so you get the drift. It's right there. That portion of our brain, the frontal portion, is where we have our positive attitude. That's where all of that is stored. Positive, optimistic, and happy feelings. If there is increased activity in that portion of the brain, people tend to react more positively to adversity. How do you know? Do you have brain, brain things attached to you during the day to find out if that's really buzzing, if the synapses are going? No, not every day. But if you talk to your neighbor, will they be able to tell you? Yeah. So the more active that is, the more positively you can react to negative things, the more you're using that frontal brain, and it also helps to improve the hippocampus activity so that you can deal with adversity. The, the hippocampus also, right there where they're showing it, in studies, when, when scientists look at this stuff, and it's amazing to me how they look at brains, and you know, it's not what I'd want to do for my daily job, but I'm glad somebody does it. It appears smaller in people who have experienced severe stress due to abuse and violence. That's why when you have people who have been held in, as prisoners of war, or they've just been held in captivity, like um, the woman who was, just re they just found her in the backyard of that man's house, in the men's backyard uh, with her two children, she could have some adjustment to dealing with the love and affection that is now being shown to her by her true family. And that's why it's harder for POWs when they come home to sometimes be accepting of that because they that's their, their hippocampus is smaller and they just haven't, they, they've really, it's a protection mechanism for them. So they had to relearn all over again that it's okay to feel loved and to give love and that that's all, that's all okay. It's 
their resilience, but that's their coping skill. And we sometimes, on a smaller level, do the same thing. We put up walls, and we don't even recognize it lots of times. We are predominantly wired to either think in three different ways. We either go thoughts, emotions, behaviors. So if you know the person who's always thinking first, then we have the emotions, behavior, thoughts, so the people who cry or laugh or first, or we have the people who do the bad behavior, then they think about it, and then they have emotion afterwards. Those are the three, those are the three layers. We, we're wired to filter all of our perceptions exclusively through emotions, exclusively through our thoughts, or exclusively through our behaviors. And we need to know which, where we are during a particular situation and understand if that is appropriate. And if it's not appropriate, then how can we change it before we act upon it? That's the hard thing. Behavior change. Anybody make a behavior change? Like stop smoking? Or yeah. Like that. Oh, that's a big one. Yes. Anybody done that? Stop smoking? Yeah. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> but that's a behavior you have. Great. How hard is it? Very. Very hard. Yes. Okay. Okay, and for someone else, they may have had to, to look at it through the emotion and then change the behavior before they even got to the thinking part. It just depends. And if we learn, that's one of the challenges for behavior change folks, is determining where somebody is in that stage of change and how they're thinking about it. Scare tactics don't work all the time. You know what the effects are of smoking. You knew what they were and you continue to do it. So, okay, well, that doesn't work. So let's start a different strategy then. You know, can we, talk, can we think about, well, all the money that you're spending on it? Well, maybe that won't work for some people. But maybe it's the segregation of your family members always telling you that you have stinky breath and that you have stinky clothes and I don't want to be in. And then that starts, you know, <laughs> that could change it. Just depends. And it's not just for the stop smoking. It's, the losing weight, it's the cutting back on coffee, it's the, those, you know, or increasing exercise or increasing activity levels. All of those things are definitely affected by our, our psych, psychological wiring. It's a mouthful here. So here's the one, the three that we just talked about. They think first, feel, then change, or feel, think, change, or change, feel, and think. And you did the last one, the change, then the feeling, because you feel better. Don't you feel better now? And now you can think about it and say, why did, I, why did I not do this before? But it's not that easy when the person is trying to make the behavior change. And that's one of the things that we as health educators are always trying to get to the root. You know, what is it that you're really wanting from, from the smoking when you're doing it? And then we learn where they are in those changes, and that's in this, in this psychological wiring so that we can figure out how it is we can work to make that behavior change work for you.
we just go through, I'm not going to read them all off to you because they're pretty, you know, there's a ton of them. There are more maladaptive coping strategies than there are coping strategies. So I just want you to think about some of those that are listed here and have you ever noticed yourself doing them? And is this going to be a barrier to you making changes that you, you're probably going to need to make? If not now, later. And the more, you know, the more easily we can make some of the, be the behavior changes, the easier it will be. And I, I tend to see in my own office the second one, third one, and the last one most often in our workplace. And I am sure that this workplace is not much different. That's, but I want, I'm hoping that we can get that to change. Um, I am one of, I'm the goal team leader for the OHR culture team. We're trying to change the OHR Office of Human Resources culture so that we can move on to hopefully be the change in what we want to see in Penn State. And those are the, the, the hopelessness that some people have who've been there for many, many years is frustrating. But I want to be the champion of that and help these folks and help myself, because I'm part of that team, move through and we need to become more resilient as a result of that. Yes? Sounds like an interesting idea, the culture team. Mm -hmm. uh, are there other culture teams on campus? I am not sure if there are other culture teams. We took the, uh, all of our feedback from the Penn State survey that was specific to the Office of Human Resources and we went through all of um, the challenges that we have to work on, the things that we had the lowest scores, and we developed teams as a result of that and put those into place. So there's a professional development team, there's a branding team, there is um, an, a Penn State culture team. So I, I'm sure it's, it's different based on every department and if they have strategic plans and those teams to continue continue on for the next five years. And I told them, how, how easy is culture change? You all are going to be thrust right into a work environment change. And let's just give an example of seatbelt usage. How many of you grew up having to wear your seatbelt in the car? Okay. I don't even think they had seatbelts in the car. I, I know they did. I mean, I slept in the back window and we used to fight over who got to sleep on the hump, for heaven's sake. If you saw a kid sleeping in the back window today, what would you do? Oh. Yeah, and you may even call the police. Um, here's the license plate. We got a kid sleeping in the back window. And I mean, my brothers used to stand on the hump in between the two seats while I drove them around. Well, it's changed. We wouldn't think of doing that now, but that's only been in the past 25 years that we've really had, you know, seatbelt changes. And it's the norm now. You wouldn't even think of getting in without buckling yourself or your children in. Well, some of us, anyhow, the one woman in my office, she said, I remember to buckle my children in, but I'm halfway there before I get myself in. <laughs> we still have to work on her. <laughs> still have to work on her. So these are some maladaptive strategies. And then here are some more. These ones are really, and number two, woo. The first, <laughs> the first one, yeah, yes. Yeah, you can recognize that in others. Now we don't get to veg out in front of a TV here at work. 
Uh, at least I don't think so. We call but it you're feeling it. What's that? We call it a computer. A computer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But all of these are maladaptive, and hopefully, if you don't recognize them in yourself, somebody, if, if they're all, if you are the one doing them, somebody else is recognizing them in you and can help you to get out of that pattern. Here's even more of strategies. And then here are some more. These ones are really, and number two, woo. The first one, yeah, yes. Yeah, you can recognize that in others. Now, we don't get to veg out in front of a TV here at work. Uh, at least I don't think so. We call but it you're feeling it. What's that? We call it a computer. A computer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But all of these are maladaptive. And hopefully, if you don't recognize them in yourself, somebody, if, if, they're all, if you are the one doing them, somebody else is recognizing them in you and can help you to get out of that pattern. Here's even more. And this is what happens when we get into this chronic cycle of maladaptive strategies. We first have our adverse event. We have increased stress and pain. Our maladaptive coping strategies that we, we drink too much. I'm just going to use that example because, you know, we all like to, it, it's a serious thing, but we like to joke about it too, you know, having a little hot toddy every once in a while. Then we go back to our, you know, normal for that little bit because it provides us temporary relief and then we start all over again so that cycle never stops we think that it's helping us but all we're doing is getting really really tired out from all of it and we're not changing anything so when we go to the adaptive cycle we have this adverse event we have something positive that we can do we, have, we do there is going to be pain remember i told you that change is not easy there's going to be pain and we can be prepared for it but how can we adapt to it? Well, we use our coping strategies, and we're going to work on those. And then you just keep going on, because you're like, oh, I, I, can, I can do this. Now, you may have to use that good coping strategy more often. That's OK. You have a positive outlet for that. And these are those internal and external assets. We're going to talk a lot about your beliefs today. And because when you are thinking about change and what should be and shouldn't be when you use those two words should or shouldn't or why can't it be like this and i don't know why we have to do it like this you're really struggling with your own belief system <coughs> so we're going to really talk about what is the underlying belief that you have about x y and z and we'll write them all out then we have the external social and physical <coughs> environment that accommodates and fosters the growth and opportunities for success. And those are your external assets. Those are your coworkers. Hopefully those are positive outlets. That's your family. Those are the things outside of the workplace that can also help you. And I'm hopeful that all of you have at least something, one thing that you do have outside of work that can help you cope with, you know, just to be able to relax and vent, whether it be going to church, going to bingo, whether it's an, a craft that you do, you know, a, a hobby, um, exercising, going to the gym, whatever that might be, being part of the PTA, that's really an adaptive, adaptive strategy. And I give this example in this resiliency paradigm. There's, uh, because it's really talking about the external assets, remember those are your coworkers, internal assets, what you have inside. If you have a high resiliency, and good external assets, you're really at a low risk. So I'll give you this example. You have a little kid, 
okay? Your child, let's say it's yours. Just pretend for the sake of pretending that you have children, if you don't. <coughs> children. Little boy runs across the yard, falls down, skins his knee, wailing. You go over to that child, pick him up, give him lots of love and hugs and Oh, look at the boo-boo. Oh, I'll make it better. Mommy and Daddy make it better. Here's a Scooby-Doo Band-Aid. Two seconds later, the kid's off running as if there wasn't a care in the world. What kind of resiliency does that child have? Hi. Hi. Why? Why? What, what are the things that are <coughs> the internal assets and what are the things on the external assets that we're working for him to be resilient. He's young. Nope. Nope. <laughs> Good try. Good try, Belinda. He had okay. the love and support. Yes. He had the love and support, which is one thing. That's on the external. What's on the internal? Go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say the Band-Aid tea probably made him feel better. Yes! <laughs> Instead of just a plain ordinary one. Absolutely! Absolutely! Look, I got all excited about these pens today. Yeah. You know? There's nothing special about them. They write just like everything else. They're like, oh, I gotta have this pink one. External. <laughs> Makes me feel good. Makes me feel good. So yeah, we can be young or old, but what, ha what happens to a younger person, Belinda? To, because there is part of that. Yes, he's young. What, what doesn't he have that an older person does have? Pain from past experiences. Ah, bingo! Yes. Pain from past experiences. Yeah, that, you're exactly right. Yeah, she was, she's saying, yeah, that's right. So that's why we have that person, the little boy, who <coughs> high resiliency. And you as the parent, you did it too. You adapted. You know, every time, do you not let your, you know, would you not let your kid go outside because you had the risk of them falling down and getting a skin knee? No. He said, I don't think so. I hope not. Now you wouldn't let them play in the street for heaven's sake, but you know. Here are internal assets. That healthy detachment. We know, or hopefully we should know by now, this since we're old. <laughs> Not young, they were old. <laughs> we we're seasoned. Yes, we're there you go. Yeah, I don't feel old. We're not old. Yes, we're seasoned. <laughs> That's a very good word, Angela. I like that one. We have perseverance. You all get up in the morning and come to work. That's perseverance because really, do you feel like getting up out of bed every morning? Especially on a day like today? No, you have perseverance. So you already have an internal asset there. You have perspective. And you might have better perspective on some things than others. But I challenge you to use that as part of your coping strategy when you're dealing with change. Keep it in perspective. What is, you know, what is this change really going to do? What is it that, how is it going to impact me? What is it that I need to adapt to? <coughs> Am I willing to adapt to it? What's the big deal? And that you, you need to keep it in perspective. Delaying that gratification, it may take you time to feel better. And in another class that I teach, we call this hippo time. You know, it's okay to be a hippo and wallow for a little while. It really is. We all need it. Because, again, 
being resilient doesn't mean that you are going to escape the pain. It's just that you may come out of that pain a little faster. When we stay in hippo time forever, or for way too long, that's when your family members are saying, really, Karen, let's go to lunch. You haven't been out of the house in three months. <laughs> that's not good. That's probably depression. And we need a little bit more help. But if you were wallowing for, you know, and it depends on the situation, too. I tell people, you know, death of, death of anyone. What timetable does anyone have the right to put on for you to be able to wallow? What right does anybody have? None. None. But when your family and friends are saying after two, three years, you know, Renee, come on over. Come on over for dinner. You stay at home every day for dinner. I want you to come on over. And you say, no, I can't. Then that's, you know, your friends and family, those people closest to you, will let you know when you're staying in hippo time just a little too long. But it's understandable that you're going to be in that. You know, it's not going to feel good for a really long time. Now, you have a flat tire on the <coughs> way in today. How long are you allowed to wallow? Half hour. Okay. <laughs> good. You, good. I, that's a long time. Long enough to change a tire. There you go. <laughs> resiliency quit. We'll find out how adaptive you are. You do not have to share because if you don't want to, you don't have to share. It's a personal. <coughs> we need to be the people in charge of the change for us. And that's one of the best internal assets that you can have. And then here's some more too. Just being resourceful, having insight, getting to the solution, seeing the bigger picture, and the willingness to try new things. That's so important. Because when you're doing this reset 2010, all of this reset, okay, what, what is it that you would want from knowing your, your fate? What would it do to help you? If you knew? If you knew. You have to prepare. Okay. Is there anything to be said about not being able to prepare now? Can you have a plan in the event? Could it? It's just looking at it in a different perspective. Yeah, because it's a fear that each and every one of us have, especially in, in this economic time. I have coworker, I have one coworker whose husband lost his job five times in the past 10 years that I've been with her. Talk about resilience. They keep, they keep plugging away. But it's still, you know, it's like it's not happening to me. It's happening to them. So, it's a little, you know, so we, can, we can say, oh, yeah, I've seen how they do that. We're going to work on some strategies that we don't have all the answers, obviously. None of us know what's going to happen in the future, but we can cope with our own way of handling it. Those external assets that we talked about with that little boy, the unconditional love, that safe environment certainly did um, have hand, you know, was, was in that example, and the close confidant or mentor was his mother or father. What does, uh, oh. can you explain the accountability part? The accountability is really knowing that there is somebody that is going to be accountable for, for you, and that person could be yourself. So when you have the external, that, that mother 
you as the mother, you were the accountable person for that little boy. Okay? Do we all have accountability for something? Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, we in our jobs and at home, those are all of the issues that they're talking about here. And let me just give you another example because they do talk about that. I wrote it in my That's the essential component for helping someone stay on course. And it's, you know, they give simplistic examples, but keeping appointments, making sure that you're getting in and out of the house for coffee and fresh air, when you really get down into it, when I was saying, you know, Renee, you need to come out for dinner. She's going to be accountable to me now for helping her get out of the house for that little bit. And somebody else is going to, you know, she might be accountable to another family member for making sure that she gets to the doctor. I think there's an element of accountability on the other side too. As a friend, I'm accountable to help that friend. Yes, yes, that unconditional love portion. Nothing more can, that's why I, I said all of you who are working together, it's so important to help one another, to recognize when Nana is not you know, feeling her best, and you see that she might be going down a spiraling path of maladaptive coping strategies. What can you as a friend do to say, you know what, we need to, we need to do something to get you on the right track because we care about you. That's, you know, it's human nature. Sometimes we lose that. Is there anybody that's willing to to tell us what your, where your resiliency is on the scale of that they give you there. 70 or higher, 60 to 70, 50 to 60, 40 to 50. Go ahead, Tara. Well, I think I might be a little delusional because I tested <laughs> at 70 or higher, so apparently I'm very resilient, but I also have a lot of maladaptive coping strategies. So. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know. I'm talking about what I'm answering these. I don't know. But I did get a high score. So. Good. Okay. So, you're, but you're recognizing, if nothing else, you are now recognizing that, you know, I'm very resilient, but, my, but I may have some maladaptive coping strategies that I need to work on. But it's, so far, anybody think that Tara, this is really putting her on the spot, anybody think that Tara needs to work on her maladaptive coping strategies? <laughs> Yay! No, I don't. No. I don't. No. Oh. Okay. From, from an external person, though, yes. she is. She's very resilient. Okay. But it does get what this struck me. I also scored in the above 70, which if you know how pessimistic I've been about the organization would give you like deep belly laughs. But part of the tension is, for me, is when you look at some of these things, like the, the, the maladaptive strategy about being negative, mm -hmm. negativity if it's based on data and reason, how maladaptive is that? I, I had a friend in grad school who had a terrible life. She'd been terribly abused. Her marriage was falling apart. And then there was this question, well, why is she so depressed? Oh, and she had um, a significant brain injury that in made her unable to do certain tasks that her husband and the marriage that was breaking up but always taken care of, and now she had to do it independently. Okay. It's not irrational to feel crappy. Mm -hmm. So, but it, it's, do you know what I mean? So I'm trying oh, to figure out, like some of the maladaptive, like what's defined as maladaptive is very nebulous for me. Okay. And even things like pessimism, I'm overall a very optimistic person, mm -hmm. but, but maybe I'll put it in, in, in like HR terms. 
one of the things that drives me crazy about this organization uh -huh. is we have all of this language about equity, and we have an institution, a $4 billion institution with 40,000 employees, and there's no female leadership at the President's Council level. Yeah. Now, it's not irrational or maladaptive to think, what a piece of crap. It's mm -hmm. inexcusable. So where is that in the maladaptive okay. scale? If I can, and you don't is, have to explain that. No, nope, like, I'm not. I'm not, sure not you spot, no, and I'm not me. going to. But what is it that you're wanting from, from the comments that you just made? Well, in a general, and like, what do I want from the institution? Mm -hmm. I'd like us to stop lying. So either we are accepting the fact that it's okay to pay women who work for OPP seventy cents on the dollar, and women in mm -hmm. middle management positions that it's okay to pay them eighty percent. That's a reality. We're in violation of federal law and yet we continue to spew rhetoric about it. And I see nothing, particularly when you have a President's Council exclusively run by overwhelmingly male, white men of a certain age and a very, very uh, narrow band of experience. I have enormous cognitive dissonance. So I don't know what they expect of me as an employee mm -hmm. in the sense of they're full of crap. They lie. As an institution, we lie. You know, okay. We say, uh, I'm sorry, I apparently have more maladaptive behaviors than I realize, but the <laughs> <laughs> cognitive dissonance is, is very different. I have a high threshold for ambiguity, but mm -hmm. working in outreach, I now have a, make a very clear distinction between ambiguity and cognitive dissonance. And we have a lot of cognitive dissonance. What we say and what we do is at odds, not just not coherent, but at odds. When we, as individuals, what can we do? What is it that we can do to counteract that? Because I'm telling working in HR, one of the things that we heard from others that was pretty much a slap in the face to us was we don't like to talk to those OHR people because if they're mean, you know, we're the rule people. Have you know, we're the rule people, and the culture there is not good. So what can we do? I don't have control over what others think about it. I have control over what I can do. And I don't, frankly, I don't have control over the Office of Human Resources or, or Penn State. But I can make, and you can make, a change to be sure that we are doing what we need to do to make it ethical and... I guess maybe that's one of the things that brought me here is sort of that ambiguity about how personal resilience and organizational resilience interplay. Mm -hmm. And part of my personal motivation in coming is that tension between, I have no idea. Right. I hope, like this is how bad I am, I hope that Sandy Spanier kicks him in the shins every night and says, what do you mean there's not a man on President's Council? That would cheer me up. <laughs> what, I heard, <laughs> what I heard you say, and I, I'm looking for, Lynn? Lynn. What I heard you say, Lynn. <laughs> yes, what about that permanent file thing? Even a file? No. Yeah, no I'm, 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 I'm totally yes. I know you are. Well, I want to vote for Lynn. <laughs> <laughs> I will I'll come to you. I just want to get. I just want to say one thing. What I heard in your comments was a word that really keeps us resilient. Does anybody know what word I'm focusing on? She said one word, and she said it twice. Crappy. No, no. <laughs> Let me just slap her, okay? <laughs> no. I heard her say the word, go ahead. Hope. Hope is the one thing 
that keeps us yes. going. And I'll give you an example. And before, well, look, I have one example that just so that we can talk about, you know, the woman that you talked about with a crappy life. I bet if I went around this room, we could all give a sob story. I have something that, you know, we could all say something. If, unless you have walked in someone's shoes, you have no idea what people have gone through. And there was an example in the readings that I did about a woman who was a very vibrant 18-year-old. She went out on a boating trip. She took a dive off of the edge of the boat and in shallow water. So you can imagine what happened. Broke her neck. She was completely paralyzed from the neck down. She could have become, and I'm sure she did, have moments of complete hopelessness because she had all of these plans for herself. She wanted to have a career. She wanted to get married. She wanted to have children. She wanted to you know, make her mark on the world. And for a while, she was in that state of hopelessness. But then she said, you know what? There are others who are like me. There are others who are worse off than me. I've got family who loves me. And she ended up finding somebody that she fell in love with, got married, had children and has a career. So even somebody with that much desperation was able to find, and all because she had hope. And she, she controlled her own, her own fate. So Lynn, I want you to be on the President's Council. That's your mission, darn it. That's what I want you to do. But yes. when you're facing an institution, at what point does hope end and delusion begin? <laughs> I mean, you can hope all you want. If you don't have any control over what goes on, if it's personal, you right. can actually yeah. do something mm -hmm. about it. What do we have control over? Really, in the case that uh, Lynn described, I don't see much that we have control over. We have control over what we do and how we react. Absolutely. And if we stay in the institution, right. and, that's, and, that's, and that's, that's my level do. of, like, mm -hmm. I, I am so tired of just the, the whole dichotomy between, you know, we say we will not discriminate on the basis of uh, uh, sexual preference, mm -hmm. and yet we allow Rainy Portland to run roughshod over people, I mean, over undergraduates, mm -hmm. not even just in an employment setting, but with our most vulnerable population. We endure that for, what, two decades? Mm -hmm. um, so part of my, I mean, truly, from, and I'm, I'm as self-indulgent as this is, I actually do mean it in the context of, as we try to figure out where we are in outreach, trying to find that, like, what is helpful to do, mm -hmm. and, and Nana's point is really sort of where my head is in terms of, when it's your own personal battle, you can uh, pace yourself, mm -hmm. you can think about the investments you're going to make, but, but it is difficult in an organization this side to figure out exactly that question. What is delusion? And what is the more personal resilience issue? More when I got to get my resume ready because I can't work here mm -hmm. anymore. And I don't know what the, I, I genuinely don't know where those lines are. And I won't know that answer for you. I mean, I wouldn't know that. You Only you know yeah, that answer. I'm not answer. trying to make you put you on the spot, but no, I'm just trying to like, put it But that in. is truly, you had, Kathy had it, she nailed, or no, it wasn't Kathy, it was, sorry, Betty. Nailed it. She she hit the nail on the head when she said we have control over what we think. And when when you start to see that your values and beliefs are so far away from 
the organizations that you just don't feel good about it anymore, you don't have that perseverance to get up, it just doesn't, then that's when you need to really take a, take a step and say, what is it now that I, what is it that I'm really wanting for myself? And answer some hard questions. I think, I don't know how long you've been here. You've been here a long time. Uh, it's so long, it's depressing. <laughs> but unfortunately, not like the reason why it's depressing is how I've been pocketed to that retirement system. Um, I've been at Outreach about 10 years. I've been affiliated okay. with the university since I was 16. Like I started okay. my first part-time job here. Do you notice that there's this cyclical pattern? Anybody who's been here longer than 10 years, there's a cyclical, you know, we have a honeymoon pattern. You have the honeymoon, oh, this is great, this is wonderful. And you're like, oh man, what did I get myself into? About five, six years, and then you're like, holy crap, I'm here for the eternity, and it's changing. <coughs> then you get to, how is it that I can keep working because I really like what I do, I might not like all the things that go on, and then I get to retire, maybe. Or I leave. You know, that's sort of every, most people have those patterns of ups and downs and change in administration. And how many presidents have you all been through? I've been through three. Three, yeah. <laughs> it is very dangerous. And that's one of the things that when you're taught, when, when I, when I had you purposely fill out those resiliency quizzes, you know, if you are the high resiliency people, those are the ones that the people who have lower scores will really need to lean on to help them through. <laughs> yes, yes. Because even though there is something there that you are doing that is really working. I did not get the highest score, by the way. You know, if you think, oh, you know, the, the person who's teaching this will get the highest score. No, I didn't. I was not the highest score. I wasn't the lowest score. I was, somewhere, I was the 60 to 70. Because we struggle to cope. We know that. There are, there are things for everyone. But what the culture team is trying to do within OHR, and I know that there's a Penn State culture team within our own division that could be something that we all are working on. What is it that we want from the organization? What is it collectively that we want? And I, I hear you just about the, the women the women thing. You know, I, I get frustrated with just the, the, the hierarchy system. That really, that is what bothers me because I'm of the, one of my biggest, values and beliefs is that we are all important regardless of what status you are. I don't care if you're tech service, if you're staff exempt, staff not, because we have those titles in our, in, in HR talk. I don't care about that. The person who, to be a leader. pardon? I just took that class. You don't need a title to be a leader. Yes, exactly. You don't. <coughs> But I get, I, there's still that whole stereotype, you know, the person who empties my garbage can isn't as valuable as, you know, a faculty member teaching 150 kids. They are, because if they didn't finish my, if they didn't empty my garbage can, or if I didn't have toilet paper when I went to the bathroom, that's a problem. I'm not going to be happy. Do you have a comment? I think one of the things that, I don't know, always strikes me about, especially situations here at, at Penn State, is that what I don't hear is the middle ground. Um, I think that what, what, I guess maybe because my mom, like, I grew up and my mom volunteered, that was what she did, like, always. She uh -huh. had always had multiple things going. And if, you know, um, the equity and pay is an issue for, for someone personally enough to cause you angst, there are things that you can do about it. There are, and I, and I don't, I, I don't know what they are exactly. <laughs> 
But you know, maybe there's a campaign that you want to start or create. Maybe there's a lawyer you want to contact. <laughs> okay, but that's, that's, that's action. Permanent file flipped out again. Action. Yes. That's the piece that I think a lot of us miss is that even though the the problem seems, I mean, look at what like humane society has done, or, or you know, mm -hmm. not humane society, it's a good word. Anyway, <laughs> pause. Pause. You know, think about. Um, the one example that I use in a lot of my cognitive restructuring classes that I wanted to talk about here today too is um, MAD. MAD, Mothers Against Drug Driving. Now, a woman who was hopeless became really empowered to start a group to help others. And it's a pretty powerful lobbying group as it is today. You know, still, it takes a while, but that can work. So we definitely need people like you <laughs> And anybody else who has that ambition and drive and really, they, that's something that you really, really want to find out what it is that can help you to feel better about the organization. I, I think when you talk about go out there and take action, uh, it's nice when you're doing it in the community. When you have a job mm -hmm. and your livelihood depends on it mm -hmm. and you have kids in college, you expect your kids to be in college at some point. Uh, it's a whole different story. How so? Because if you don't perceive the organization as being respons uh, uh, responsive to whatever action you're going to take, mm -hmm. or you might even perceive the organization as maybe retaliating, why would you want to put yourself and your job in jeopardy <coughs> by standing up? Okay, so you're also <coughs> taking action. So all you can do is all you can do is learn to cope. Okay. And let the organization do what it's doing, whether you agree with it or not, or whether it's right or not. And is that so, something that you're willing to live with then? Well, that yes. What, when that, you look at your priorities, you'll have to live with that. So okay. w what I mean is, when you talk about taking action, the same person who might go out in their community and knock on doors and take action might not mm -hmm. do it, anything, because the organization is much bigger than us. Okay. Does anybody have any comment? To well, I think that there's a frustration level when you're talking about the institution of Penn State, because there are so many different levels of hierarchy that you have to run up against the brick wall that they've built there. And they, they're the ones that have the control. And no matter what you do at the level that you're at, you're going to come to that level that you hit that brick wall. And the frustration just continues to build because okay. you've worked hard, you've tried hard, you've tried for change, and nothing happens. Even when they get all these committees and subcommittees and everything mm -hmm. else and they come up with these um, action plans and all these things that they're going to do, but then it comes to some level that all the work that the committee put into it is for naught because nothing happens. And that's and then where that we have just increases the frustration levels. Mm -hmm. When we don't see action, that's when we start to lose hope. Mm -hmm. <coughs> okay. But what you what you can do is learn from that learn from that mistake if if it was a mistake. Okay. And this is where we need to communicate. It's it you don't have control over that for your supervisor saying it's crappy. What you do have control over is saying, you know what? I'm coming in, 
once a week or however long the project is and I need your feedback because that's to me a supervisory issue. I did all of this work and then you told me it was crappy. Okay. I'm not going to get burned the second time. I want to know so, so the feedback along the way. That is, that's again, when those values are not matching with your values. And I know it's, you know, it's, it's easier said than done to say, you know what, I'm going to leave because there's not many jobs to be had out there. There is a process for all of us to be able to go above that supervisor. I know it's I know you're saying you're gonna cut off your nose just bite your face. But we do have we do have choices, you know, and that you you might not have the time, but I'm not willing to come in and not get a good review on this again. I need I need this and if there's something else I need to do, go to classes, do something. These are the yeah. 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 Right, let's take a 15 minute break because we're coming to the point where I, we're going to get into some stories and we're actually going to go through a process that, will, that may help us sort of determine what it is that we, can, that we can do because that's the whole thing, it's what we can do. I don't want to get the maladaptive strategies going. So, a question about that bowl of ice cream. Yes. Now, it's a maladaptive strategy. Mm -hmm. but. Isn't that a place for them temporarily? Sometimes when you eat that bowl of ice cream, you calm down, and then you start to think. So are they all that bad? Sometimes, well, sometimes even that beer can do some good things for you. I suppose it's how much ice cream, if you have a whole Ben and Jerry's, you know, I think, and you know, you're looking at the health person here. I'm thinking if I yeah. if I go to a Ben and Jerry's every time I have a stress, stress issue, I'm gonna have more issues than just dealing with my coworkers. I'm gonna have cholesterol temporary coping mechanism <laughs> that can cause long-term bad effects. If I gain 50 pounds from eating my quart of Ben and Jerry's because I can't cope with my you know, my supervisor, so, then I'm going, and then I'm going to have high cholesterol, I'm going to have high blood pressure, I'm going to have to buy all new clothes, I, you know, all those things, I mean, it just keeps going on and on and on. But if I say, oh, you know, I'm going to have a scoop. No, I'm going to have the whole pint. That's the whole idea of the maladaptive. No, <coughs> anything in moderation. If that, but you know, we need to. You need to think about that. If I'm going out and smoking a cigarette and it makes me feel good, I'm only smoking one. But what am I doing? That's still a maladaptive because I'm causing other effects. So, so you're saying the bowl of ice cream is just a particular tool chosen for having some time to calm down and reflect. Like a temporary place. Right, so I think taking the time to calm down and yes. reflect, well that's good. Yes. How you do that, well the ice cream is maybe not the best choice. Taking a walk could be a more adaptive choice. Or having a beer. <laughs> or even having a glass of water. Um, <laughs> wow. So, oh, wow. But yes, yeah, so, I mean, I, I appreciate the uh, needing to take a moment or a, more than a moment and like calm down and reflect and kind of change where your head's at. But you don't necessarily need to use ice cream to do it. Exactly. Thank you. She said it so well. <laughs> uh, give me a cigarette and a beer. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> See?
forget either when I first came on board well you can't pay somebody I was trying to pay pay somebody for a work that they had done for our department what do you mean I can't pay them they did work for us so it seems to me that when somebody does work for you they can get paid for it well the short answer was well the short answer was no you can't do it and then it was well it depends that's that next well give me more information I might not be able to pay them in the manner that you that I thought I could, but there, I know that there are methods. I can either pay them supplementally if they're already an employee, I can pay them on an independent contractor, I can pay them, you know, there are different ways. I can put them on a wage appointment. So it can be done, I just need to know the system of how it can be done. And that's reframing, bless you. So those folks who say, well, it can't be done, they're really using the all or nothing. But reframing is, oh, Cassandra, you know, because this person has their own business, we can't pay them in the way, you know, it's not permitted to pay them in the fashion that you thought. We need to have you know, this code and you need to fill out this form and then we can go ahead and, and do that. But her whole idea was, you know, can't be done. It can be done, just a different way. So that's just reframing how we think about negative things. The Mothers Against Drunk Driving is a very good example. What could that mother who lost her child have done? Wallowed in her pity and so. Yeah, and just went on and, no, but what did she do? She changed a bad situation and did something that made her feel better. Did it take away what bad thing had happened? No. No, but now she knows. Look at how far she's come. She's made an impact for every other mother and father so that they don't, they don't have to go through the same thing that she went through. That's reframing. Um, some other examples. Can anybody give me some other examples of reframing? Why don't we, why don't we use or an organizational change? Something that you know is coming up. How can you reframe your thinking for this Reset 2010? Can you? Or are you we not there yet? We reframed it but decided that um, you don't like the way that you've reframed it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you're considering a decision and you know there are multiple options and mm -hmm. you thought each one well out, but even, so you've, you've considered that there are other ways to reframe it, but you've chosen one way. I don't know if that's an answer to you. But you're talking about it, and that's the whole thing. You keep talking through it. You might not like the way things are, but how can we reframe it so that there is something positive? Well, I guess that's my point, is that just 
because you consider different options doesn't mean that you're going to come to a positive outcome. Okay. Well, it, with all that is going on, mm -hmm. sometimes you can stop to think that at least I have a job. Even because there's that big picture recession going on, right? Right. Uh, you can put it that way and it feels better. Okay, so that can give you short term, and I hear a lot about so that's you know, didn't get didn't get a raise this year, but just think about yes, I still have a job, and yes, I have great benefits. Yes, I have you know I, I have pe good people that I work with. Um, I'm still able to pay my bills. What else is there? What else is there? But at what point does reframing become um, harmful or hurtful? Because, like, you take it from the other point of view with the reset, mm -hmm. is that someone could think, well, at least I'm not involved. Like, I'm not the one that has to make the decision. Like, I totally agree with that. I don't think that that's a healthy point of view at all. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess I'm just pushing back that reframing isn't, it can be just as, as detrimental as not reframing. But when you, when you reframe, it's not that you're pretending that there's something there. It's but really to that keep... that's what people do. Okay, and all right. Then that, then that is not the idea of reframing. <coughs> reframing is to think of something positive that is real. Not that you're just putting on a facade so that you're protecting yourself. It's, I need to find something good in this so that I still have that hope. And that's what the reframing will be, you know. And it could be just as simple as saying, "This reason, some I I'm hopeful that someone has thought this reset 2010 through, and that there will be good things that See, that happen." See, I, I totally disagree with that statement because um, you're making an assumption that someone is doing something that you think should be happening. Okay. And so you're absolving yourself of being part of the solution. And I don't agree with that. You can include yourself in. You but, can make a statement. A statement like that is giving yourself permission to not be involved. But but part of the challenge that I'm feeling personally, and again, this I appreciate this isn't about me, but um, maybe other people have experienced this as well. Is when you do have organizational change like this, mm -hmm. there is a completely understandably you can't do it at the 1,500 or however many employees we have in average level. It's happening in a cluster of 30 or maybe 60 or 70 people. So figuring out that line between personal agency of what can I control, what is my role, what's healthy for me as an individual, what's healthy and high performing as an employee, um, when you're not the decider, uh, there's a high level of ambiguity and stress that come along with it, which I think is part of the, the resilience issue in the organization is what do you do with, where's your personal agency? And, and to, to Nana's point, I I'm, I'm really apologize for derailing your timeline, but that, that line of when you, like, what's the role of, of, of um, activism within the organization? Because it's been my experience at Penn State, I've been here literally since the 80s, mm -hmm. um, that we don't go after people for, oh, Cassandra, you're voicing an unpopular opinion. We don't do that. What we do is we start to go after you under the name of performance. And the cold, hard reality is if you shine a bright enough light on anybody, you can make a case that anybody's a crappy performer. That's the nature of life. We all do our best. Sometimes it's a matter of perspective. Did I do a really good job? And does my supervisor share that? But the, the cost 
to a person when you're being eroded at the, well, you're not a very good performer. And I've even heard it from people, it's astounded me who I've heard versions of that sentence from recently relative to people who've been trying to voice, but, but what about kinds of things, which is ultimately a very optimistic, hope-filled mm -hmm. place to be thinking, yeah. well, I need to express this important thing. So even as part of their resiliency structure, I'm at a loss of what's appropriate, like what is the good friend thing to do? Like do I tell them, yeah, keep going, or do I say, for the love of God, you're the sole financial support for your family. Don't say anything else because you've been marked now. Just sort of as a big culture yeah. issue. So the and I don't know what that answer is. Yeah. I truly and I, don't. Again, I'm not, you know, yeah. you're, you're, I'm sure, aware of that there's a lot of tension in the organization oh, yeah. and it's not intended in any way to be yeah. distracted no. towards you. But I think that's one of the tensions, no. though. Exactly. Is, is how, do you, how do you reframe, like when is reframing like coming to accept an abuser? Like when you start dating somebody and they're, well, they don't like any of my friends, but you know they love me so much, it's okay. Yeah. No, that and if that becomes unhealthy, like when when does reframing? And I completely honor the spirit of what you're trying to say, but I think that when in an organization becomes very big. Yes. Again, I keep going back to values. When your values are at odds with the values that are around you, those are when hard decisions need to be made. I'm not the person that would do those, but the employee assistance program can help you, guide you into that right place, because I do think that people need individual counseling to help them make those decisions, because you are going to be making, if you make the decision to leave the institution or to find somewhere else within the institution, you know, we always think the grass is greener somewhere else, but each, each unit has their own issues. But, they, but if that's something that you're at odds with, I say go to a professional, talk through it so that you can come up with a plan. When we're talking about the plan, you know, planning ahead, what is my plan? I'm at the breaking point. And I have one, one woman um, who came to me and she said, I am at the breaking point. I've been here for 16 years. I'm able to retire. I'm seriously debating retiring because I just don't want to deal with it anymore. Now that's an option for her, somebody who's, you know, only 40. I can't do that. That's not an option. But when it becomes unhealthy, you're denying the reality, that's when it need, it's going beyond one of these techniques that you're going to learn in, in an hour and a half class. I, I think there's a fine line between reframing and just, again, trying to make whatever it is go away. You're not really, you're, you're trying to make, be positive by reframing it. But you, Thanks, Renee. Thank but you. But you know that the bad thing is underneath. So reframing can be pretty mal adapted in that sense. When I look at the woman that does, you know, the, the, the mothers against drunk driving, People still, if she gave up hope, there are still people who drink and drive and kill other people. Yes, that's good. She didn't throw up her hands that's and say, you know what? Yes. But <laughs> I think it can cut both ways. One more comment and we'll move on. Did you have a comment, sir? No? Oh, no? Okay. All right. There are different reframing themes. And this is where I really wanted to get into the nuts and bolts. And I don't know, how much time do I have, Jody? 15 more minutes? Or? Because I know people are starting to, starting to I don't want people to get stressed because they're still here. Uh, the humor. 
Yeah, this this is kind of a little bit off topic, but um, has Matters considered uh, starting a laughing club? No. <laughs> that might be something. There you go. They might just a laugh. I'm going to hire a jollyologist as soon as I get extra funds that aren't going to come in anytime soon. But yeah, we that we could all, all benefit from it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. We love. We become. <coughs> we have become such. And that it's not okay to laugh. And when people are laughing, I had a woman come up to me in my office and she said, my coworker, Pam, she said, Pam's back there. She's just laughing. She's causing a ruckus. What in the world is she doing out there laughing? Oh boy, I don't know. Is that against the rules? You know, it was in, because she was handling, it wasn't like she wasn't doing any work. It's not like we're not productive. But laughing can be helpful. Uh, there is, we need to have that belief that there is some greater good or purpose. And the ABC formula and the silver lining strategy was something that I really wanted us to focus on. And these next, I was hoping to have at least a half an hour to do some activities and get y'all walking around um, so you can get up. But the ABC formula, I've written some of them on the, on, the, on the white flip charts there. This formula is really when we're talking about what the activating event is or the stressor. Um, the B that is not there, well, it is the, um, the B is the stress, the beliefs about those events. The C is the consequence. And the D, the minus sign, is really reducing the sum, is your disputing skills. What are the things that you can do to dispute the beliefs that you truly have about that event? And I'll just use a simplistic one that just for, I can't, I can't say it out loud. My husband would use a phrase, something in giggles. Um, the stressor today would have been having to shovel out my car, the snow. The stress that it caused me was I was you know, getting myself all worried about being late for work, I had to pick up car pullers, my heart was racing, that's the consequence. My heart racing, I'm not you know, making mistakes, I'm falling. Uh, what was my underlying belief about that snow? Truly what I was hoping was why in the world couldn't it just snow instead of a rain without, you know, why does it have to do this? It shouldn't have snowed today. Well, that's an unreasonable belief. It is going to snow and I am going to have to show in and I am going to have to make, make some changes. Those are my disputing skills by knowing that, you know what, the next time they're calling for snow, I'm gonna get up a half an hour earlier, or better yet, park the car in my garage if I have one to put it in. So that's a real simplistic example. But what I was hoping we could do is write down stressors and stress consequences and do our disputing skills. And we can do that, but I wanted to just give you, before we go and do that one, I wanted to show you one more, <coughs> the silver lining strategy and the dispute. This is just disputing statements that are not true or hardly ever true. The silver lining strategy is something that I wanted you to all work on, and I hope that as homework when we leave today is looking at your change that you're going to be embarking upon here. One thing that will help, and it might not be personally, doesn't need to be personally, but what is one thing that is going to be helped? What is one great idea as a result of this change. 
what is one thing that now it's up to you, what is one thing that I can work on? And one thing that this will positively impact. And if there's any other silver lining things that you can write in there, then add them. That's really looking for the silver lining, finding the positive side of, because right now we're, it's, it's, it's personal. And I know that. You know, it's a personal thing. No, none of us like change because the first thing we think about is how is this going to impact me? Not you, not you, not you, me. So if I can find the silver lining, and if you can find the silver lining, no, it's not going to change anything. No, you're exactly right. But it is helping you to find some optimism in that. Any silver lining strategies? Or to, any, to end, to finish up the statements. It is a behavior change. That's, and those are hard, hard things. So there's one other strategy that I'll just talk, and I have hand up. I don't want, I can't stress the employee assistance program enough if, if this is something that you're just not able to do with some of the strategies that we're giving today. But there is a, for, for taking charge of change, there are three different A's that, you know, the AABC decision-making model. You can either alter the change, and you already said, you know, I don't feel like I can alter the change. It's happening. I'm out of my control. I can avoid it. Well, you can avoid it, but it's still going to happen. And you can accept it through building the resilience or changing your perception. And these are the, the, the different parts to that A. How can you alter it. Well, problem solving, communication, organizing, planning, time management. You know it's happening. By avoiding it, not really an option. Again, happening. But in other situations, this is a way that you can help with the change. Accepting it is really, you know, this is going to happen no matter what, you know, what, what anybody, you know, anybody says. We know it's happening. So we can equip ourselves by building that resilience and changing our perceptions. And then we have a few things, these intangibles. And we talked a little bit about the hope, love, and faith. And there are some quotes. These handouts are available. That they'll be, you can read all of them. Because what I wanted you to see was just something to bring you a little joy. I have this video. It's not very long. I think it's like three, four minutes, something like that just to, to leave, leave you with something that's a little happier than what we've been talking about.